Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of What's the Res? We are dedicated to hosting the ongoing conversation about the current resolutions in the world of high school debate. Tonight's episode features Analicia Vamonde. Analicia is a Venezuelan lawyer now living in Washington, D.C., and she is actively involved in observing and participating in Venezuela's diplomatic and political situation. Tonight, she's going to lend us her uh, experience, her background, her legal studies, and her expertise to explore the January Public Forum National Speech and Debate Resolution, which reads, Resolved, the United States should end its economic sanctions against Venezuela. Analicia, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for inviting me. I'm so excited. Oh, this is going to be great. Well, uh, help our audience know a little bit about you. I know I, I know that you're in D.C. Tell us what you're doing, where, where you're from, kind of uh, how, how did you get here, and uh, just give us some of your story. Well, long story short, I came to D.C. because of love, <laughs> basically. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, yeah, my husband uh, was born and raised in D.C., Although we met in Venezuela, he's a journalist and he was working in Venezuela. So um, he was very adventurous and brave, by the way. But um, so, yeah, we just met there. And um, and after a couple of years, um, we just decided to, you know, start our family. So now I'm here. <laughs> So you decide D.C. as the place to start a family. That That's its own kind of new kind of adventure, I would suspect. Well, yeah, his job was here and I was available to move. So mm-hmm. oh, that makes sense. I know uh, we have a lot of friends who live in the D.C. area and uh, it, it's it's a fascinating place. It's a hard place to live, uh, at least is, is my understanding. It is, but I really like it. I mean, as a, as a city, I really like it. It's just full of. It's it's full of very like nice people. Um, there are good jobs here. I mean, we have the IMF, we have you know the World Bank, we have a lot of embassies. You know, it's just very. It's a very interesting area to be in. Uh, Depends on the field sure. where you are, of course. Of course. Well. Mm-hmm. So uh, now, how so? How did you and your husband meet? Was was he uh, was was he there? Uh, was was he in Venezuela originally? Were you in Colombia? How how did how did that how does that story go? No. So um, basically, he was working in Colombia at first, and wait a second, I don't know what's going on here. Uh, yeah, your 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 sounds coming in can fine. You still hear me? Yep, I can still hear you just fine. You're you're fine. Up oh, camera's back. There we go. Okay. 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 So, um, yeah, as I said, he was working in Colombia. Um, he was in America, in Latin America in general. So um, he started going to Colombia as a freelancer cameraman. He shoots and edits news. So, um, so that's he. He was, you know, on cloud nine, just being in Colombia. So um, then he, I guess, got the awesome idea to jump to Venezuela because, you know, there's a lot of news there. So why not? So uh, he started covering a lot of things um, that were happening at the moment. He started going there frequently since 2015. So he... He was very involved uh, in, in all the situation, you know, like he could tell you 
good facts with good background and really good understanding of um, of the situation. So that's, in all honesty, that's one of the things I really liked about him at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, it, it's just good to um, to be understood by someone who, you know, who's not really living it firsthand. And, you know, just just seeing how someone can be that involved and, and you know, informed about it. So, so yeah, we, we met there. Um, I happened to star in a documentary or to, yeah, to star in a documentary he, he filmed, um, which was pretty good. We went protesting together a long, a long time. <laughs> <laughs> we got tear gas together. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Awesome date. <laughs> <laughs> what, what what were you protesting? I mean, what and do, do all protests in Venezuela end in tear gas? So, uh, well, yeah, and that's and that's if if it ends well, it's just tear gas. Oh my goodness! Yeah, um, it well, the repression in the in the Venezuelan protests are very hard. Um, from what I've experienced, uh, and I've been going to all the protests since I was like really, really young. Like I, I went with my mom, you know, it was like, we're all going to protest. And um, they really basically attack, meaning they like the police or armed forces or whoever is um, trying to control the, the protest. Uh, it just ends like a non happy experience i mean there's uh there has been a lot of people killed um and well murdered and it's just basically a result of all the the repression so the protests are this was protesting against uh the 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 government that's currently in power was this against president maduro and and his government or a previous government yeah it's basically there were several reasons uh, we have protested, actively protested since, I don't know, I would say 2005. Uh, like, I don't know, like since Chavez was in power. 14 for years reasons. of regular active protesting. What? That's that's 14 years of 2005. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and of course, as the situation, you know, got worse and worse, there were more and more protests. Okay. Naturally. So, um, so yeah, basically all the protesting, uh, most of them ends up in repression. So, um, it's, it's just against something that's happening and there's always happening. So okay. basically I remember a couple of years ago, um, the, um, the Chavez regime when Chavez was alive and still in power, they decided to shut down a very emblematic TV channel. And this represented, you know, a clear violation to, to, um, to the right of expressing ourselves publicly as Venezuelans, because basically this channel covered a lot of opposition, you know, news agenda. So the government decided to take, uh, to take the channel and they, expropriated everything they basically stole their equipment they didn't pay for anything they just like confiscated things 
Um, so, you know, that was like a very long time of protesting. And then you can't, you, you can't even count, you know, the, the, the amount of events that has led to protest. Wow. I'm just trying to think of how, how uh, that, that there's say economically, there's so many, there's so many interesting points there that protesting then on the one hand, it's indicating a very unhappy people who are very unhappy with events that the government is doing. At the same time, these are folks who are protesting. They're not working. They're not contributing in the economy that while they're true. protesting. At the same time, that creates a disruptive environment. At the same time, and then you've also got the 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 police brutality, military force response. That uh, just I, I was reading one article earlier that talked about um, protest fatigue as being a kind of a phenomenon in Venezuela, which I with what you're describing makes perfect sense because. I mean, if you continue protesting for year after year after year and things only get worse, I would imagine people would decide would just be tired of protesting after a while. And you're scared. And at this point, people are scared because they say like, oh, well, if I go pro uh, if I go to a protest, will I be killed by a flying tear gas bomb that hits my head? Will oh my I be goodness. shot with a with a marble, um, you know, that just kills me? And things like that, like there has been uh, serious reports about the police uh, using the um, th their their shotguns or the guns that are not, you know, made to kill. They put um, coins, like big coins we have, and they just put them inside and they shoot the coins out or big marbles. So this has resulted in, in people being killed. So, you know, that 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 fact of of fear is totally understandable. Wow. And and as for now, um, I think people are very concerned about their own survival. Um, you know, they, they have to they have to go out and look for food and look for their medicine and take care of their relatives and just not being killed, not even by the police, just by the regular you know, via, very violent situation in Venezuela. So, yeah, it's understanding. It makes total sense about the the protest fatigue. My goodness. And I, I, I don't even know that I have a very good context for understanding that because here in the United States, I mean, people, we, we, don't, we don't have protesting at that scale. I mean, at the, we have people who will make signs and march for various issues, yeah. but – we have a pretty strong rule of law still. And if, if uh, it takes a lot, whereas I mean, from our perspective in the United States, of course, uh, tear gas is seen as sort of a, a, that's a pretty last resort for a police department. They're probably going to get some pretty bad public relations images out of tear gassing, even violent protesters. Mm -hmm. I, oh my goodness. I can't even imagine what that would look like. That is true. And I understand what you're saying because actually here in DC, uh, every time I have family members visiting, we go, of course, to the White House. And in front of the White House or in front of the Capitol, you know, you always see something going on. <laughs> you can always see someone with a sign, someone screaming, you know, a group of people. And, and the police is just there. You know, the Secret Service is just there. And they are just there. I mean, that's it. <laughs> Uh, it's it's such it's so different. Well, 
let, let's back up just a little bit because I, I, I really want to see if you can help us put this in order because I remember yes. I, I, I was talking with some of my debate students about this and they don't know anything about Venezuela. Uh, many of them are taking high school Spanish, so they are aware that Venezuela is on the northern end of the South American continent. Yes. But other than that, that's about what mo- that's about the extent of what they already kind of generally know. So yeah. Could you help us with kind of basic background? What do we need to know about Venezuela before we can even begin to understand where Venezuela is in 2019 and the effect yeah. of U.S. sanctions on the Venezuelan economy? Sure. So Venezuela was, used to be one of the richest nations in the world. We have the, the, the biggest proven oil reserves in the world. And it was a very nice country to live in. I mean, we have beautiful, you know, landscapes. We have we had very good and strong economy. Um, we our crime rates were low. I mean, it this was a perfectly regular and normal country to live in. It was actually, you know, I would say, but my opinion is a little biased. <laughs> Rightly so. It was actually better than normal. Um, I was born and raised there, and I lived there my whole life, basically until I was 20, 25 years old. And I remember I grew up in a very normal, like normal, you know, way. I had a very normal way of life. I went to school. I didn't see anybody getting getting, you know, killed or or getting, I don't know, being in trouble to get food, or having trouble getting medical assistance. It was pretty normal, regular. So I remember when I was a teenager um, that everything started going downhill. So there were multiple reasons why everything started going downhill, but um, basically this started as government policy has gone wrong, kind of. Um, and it, it was just a snowball effect in everything else. So we had a um, former president who, uh, who died. Uh, his name was Hugo Chavez. And he, you know, he was a very charismatic uh, guy uh, with a military background. And... Um, he was selling this, this uh, I don't know, Superman, uh, Messiah uh, message of I'm going to redistribute wealth and I'm going to make the poor have money or I'm going to make people who has a lot of money not have a lot of money and give that money to the people who, you know, who are not that uh, doing that well financially, and I'm going to, you know, make all, all the social projects, and everything's going to be free, and the government is going to take care of you. Um, and it, in all honesty, that sounds terrific, right? <laughs> I mean, sounds great. Yeah, and, yeah, sounds great. So the government is going to take care of you, and everything's going to be uh, free, and you don't have to. And you don't have to work and you don't have to. Uh, it sounds great, right? In paper. 
Um, well, it, it never sounded great to me. Just clarifying, but <laughs> sounds appealing, right? I oh, mean, sure. I mean, I think there's a lot of people who would hear that and think, "Wow, if only I didn't have to pay for health care, if I didn't have to pay for college, if I didn't have to." And we sort of imagine that we would do all these other things when, yes. I mean, and it, it's it's a there's so many people who pro, so many governments have promised that none of them can ever deliver. I mean, there's. There's some basic laws of human existence about work and satisfaction with life and supply and demand about that really tie into the nature of reality that we we can never get past. But it's a great message to sell people if you want them to believe in you and your government. It's a, it's it's a real smooth talk, you know, and and um, and I'm I'm basically allergic to it. It's like I, I can't, you know, I, I just. I it's like no 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 you know every time I hear someone saying like oh but we we will be having I don't know free whatever and I'm like no I mean I come from the future please listen (laughs) so so yeah so going back to you know factual information um uh when Chavez took power he won by by a lot I mean he he definitely won it was it was, you know, no doubt he 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 had support, um, but then slowly he started. Um, where where did he start? He started doing a lot of things at the same time. So he started um, harassing or or attacking private companies, um, saying. You have to do this. You have to do that. Um, and the private companies that had a lot of investments in the country were like, okay, well, this is starting to get, you know, really uncomfortable uh, because the government was interfering with uh, with the economy. They were interfering with, with not just the economy, with daily, day-to-day things. Mm. Um, the government ended up telling us if we could get one dozen or two dozen of eggs per week at the grocery store. Sounds sounds very strange, right? I, I, I mean, that's, and that's the screen. I know there are sometimes my wife and I can go through a dozen eggs might last us two days might last us six days. It's it's hard to tell sometimes. So sometimes we have to get more eggs in the middle of the week, but. I mean, yeah. I, and there's only two of us. I can't imagine what that would be like for a family of five, six, or seven to then have to like ration a carton of eggs to last yes. a certain amount of time. Yeah. So the government started uh, confiscating property, private property. They 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 called it expropriating, but actually expropriation, uh, you know, needs uh, a payment to the person you're taking the property from, and there was never a payment. So they basically stole, stole, bluntly said, um, you know, all the money uh, being in buildings or, or equipment or in anything. Um, they expropriated or they, they took, you know, farms. They took the, the food companies. They, they took the technological companies. They nationalized our oil industry. So basically, they took everything in their own power, in their own hands. So 
they had control of absolutely everything, starting from the internet um, and, and ending up in the grocery store or what medicine you can get and how much you can get. So it was a very, very aggressive involvement in everything in people's lives. Over about how, what span of time is this happening? Is this a year, three years, 10 years, 20 years? No. Well, so this has been going on for 20 years. Okay. Um, but I can tell you that not everybody started feeling um, the, you know, the, the very hard um, consequences of, of all the bad and mismanaged policies until maybe seven years ago. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So seven years ago is a long, is a long time too, but this has been like cooking. It, this has been in the oven for 20 years. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so um, of course now that um, the socialist idea doesn't look that great because, you know, Socialism is great, and you can take all, all, you know, all the money until there's no, no more money to take. So, you know, it, we're basically now a country that lost all of our money that we were earning with our, our, with our oil uh, revenues. It was all stolen. It was all gone. Um, there has been, you know, there's proven information about government officials that are just regular government officials that have $4 million apartment in Miami, Florida. And, and there has been a corruption scheme of billions of dollars. Uh, it's, it's just, it's insane. It's it's really it's not even a government. It's just a, a a group of criminals running a country. Wow, that's that's on one hand that's that's just heartbreaking to hear because I know behind all of those numbers, I mean, there's there's so many people who have done nothing to cause that. They're but they're they're trapped in this country. Where I remember I met a couple of guys um, from Venezuela at a conference I was at a couple summers ago, and uh, they were trying to map it out in terms of bread and just explain how uh, uh, thousands of I don't remember what the currency is called, but thousands of bolivares, uh, thousands of bolivares would not buy a loaf of bread. And they were describing, I think the number was something like a thousand percent inflation rate. I mean, it just to have a bankrupt economy. And, and yet, when, when was this conversation that you got a, a this was, percent? I want to say two years ago. I think this was 2017. It was, uh, I was at the Acton Institute's uh, Acton University Conference in Grand well, Rapids, Michigan. You can double check what I'm going to say and I'll double check it too. But I believe that, that well, first of all, we don't have official inflation rates in the country because it's so shocking and, and it's so bad that the own government does not release official oh. information, first of all. But I'm going to go to a reliable source, which is, you know, the IMF. 
So the report of the IMF on Venezuela's inflation for 2018, I believe, was 1.3 million. Oh, oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. I can't even imagine what that means. That's so, so I don't know if, you know, that, that, that um, number you got about something thousand. <laughs> I, I'm probably that? off on that number. That's, maybe, that's a more recent a number. Maybe a thousand a month. <laughs> Could be. But that just, that's, uh, and the way that affects people and the way they actually live is, is just gut wrenching. Yeah. Um, I was looking at, uh, there's been, this is. I did a uh, just a, a search for Venezuela on Google News uh, before we started today, and as of uh, December 9th, the Brookings Institute released a new report with recent numbers about from Venezuela. Uh, uh, they're reporting 4.7 million Venezuelans have fled Venezuela, and uh, what was those other numbers they had? Um, that 4.7 million have fled, and they expect to see that go up to uh, 6.5 million Venezuelans living outside of Venezuela by 2020. And that yeah. they're projecting this to be this is the looming humanitarian crisis uh, in the world today. It is. It definitely is. And and I can see that for myself. I mean, if if you don't tell me what the what the numbers are, I can tell you from my experience. Um, as you know, I grew up in Venezuela and I lived there my whole life. So basically all my, all my friends and all my family should be in Venezuela. Correct. I mean, that, that's kind of how it, how it works for everybody else. And, um, all the people from my high school or all my close friends from high school, I can tell you there's only one in Venezuela Wow. and, and, uh, out of maybe, 12 or 13 of, you know, the, the group of girls who, you know, we grew up together. Um, there's only one and she is, um, not there really willingly is because her mom is there. She can't leave without her mom. You know, her mom is, 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 um, an elder woman. So, you know, it's, it's more complicated, but everybody else is not there. Uh, from my family, I have seven cousins from my dad's side of the family, and there's only one there. Um, you know, it, it's, it's pretty insane. I don't have anybody I know anymore in Venezuela. There's nobody there. So, uh, wow. Yeah. So this literally my is a my country. My parents are still there, though. Oh, man. So this mm. is a country that had all the opportunity, all the, all the natural resources and yet through government mismanagement and applying socialism as a governmental model with a charismatic military dictator has literally consumed itself from the inside yes. and everyone who can get out is currently trying to get out yes yes and 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 it's it's a very it's a very bad you know situation it's it's almost like a nightmare i mean uh, not everybody has the possibility to just take a plane, take a buy a, pl a, fl a, a, a flight out, and mm. not everybody has the ability to, you know, regularize their 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 migratory their immigration status everywhere, like in any country. Um, so it's it's hard. Um, there are people that are you know professionals, like they they went to college and they invested 
in their education and they are working in, I don't know, as waiters and, and stuff like that because why would they want to be, have be professionals in Venezuela if they're going to be killed and whatever, you know, they, they just prefer to leave and have a, a very modest and normal life outside the country. And it's totally understandable. Well, where do where does the current um, disagreement between uh, Venezuela's two potential presidents? I mean, if I understand this correctly, there's Maduro as was elected, but there is a lot of dispute with that election, and yes. uh, pres- and then there is Guaido. 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 Guaido, yes. Guaido. Uh, but he has been recognized by the international community, including the United States, as the legitimate president. Yes. So how does how does the disagreement between these two figures contribute to this chaotic situation? So so let me explain first how how it happened, uh, how we ended up having two, you know, two presidents, two governments, or like how is how how does that work that would you know? be really helpful I, i'd really appreciate that okay so so basically um maduro um was selected for his first period for his first term um and in 2015 if i'm not wrong um we we meaning the opposition to the government won the majority of congress Okay. Which is, as for today, the only elected institution, like voted and elected institution of the country. Everything else has been handpicked by the executive power. So the only representation of people is actually the Congress. Um, so basically, the Congress started, you know, not helping out Maduro with budget, with laws, with in on constitutional stuff he he wanted to he wanted to achieve. So Maduro uh, created a parallel congress. The parallel congress was presented as a constituent assembly. And this constituent assembly was of course illegal because it had to be approved by Congress, by the actual Congress. So they just made up this thing, right, to serve their own purpose. And they said, okay, well, we have this constituent assembly and we're going to call for elections, for the presidential elections that were due at that moment. So um, they had the elections, they had the elections because nobody else participated in the elections because the elections were completely illegal. I mean, they were called by uh, an imaginary and illegal um, entity or figure they, they created. So, of course, Maduro said, oh, awesome, I won the elections. And that was it, right? <laughs> so it's like... Pay and give yourself back the change. It's like, uh uh-huh. <laughs> so um, basically what happens uh, in, in our constitution uh, is, you know, is contemplated a situation where when there is uh, no precedent, there is 
there is basically, yeah, there's nobody in the position. Then who has to assume power, at least transitionally, is the president of Congress. So Guaido was the president of Congress when this okay. happened. So this is, this is the actual reason why Guaido is, you know, is the legitimate president of the country. Okay. That, I tracked okay. the logic there. That makes sense. I mean, okay. that's, that's similar to our, we've got that whole system where a chain of command, where if the president is out, then it's the vice president, and if it's the vice president, it's the next guy. So he was that legitimately, duly appointed, constitutionally recognized authority yes. figure in that moment. Okay. Yes. Exactly. So um, since we were basically lacking the elect or the, the legal election, the legitimate election of a president, then who had to um, take office transitionally um, until, you know, new elections came or, or, or were, you know, in the agenda was the president of Congress who happened to be Guaido at the moment. So, um, so that's that's how we ended up with uh, with two presidents. Although Maduro is not really a president, but you can, you know, for the purpose of the discussion, yes, that's sure. how we ended up in this. You know, it's fascinating. Um, does 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 the military support one candidate and not the other, or does do both candidates have military support? Well, um, I can tell you that Maduro has a lot of the high-end military people with him. And not because of ideological reasons, it's just for pocket reasons. So everybody, everybody that has been involved in the government throughout the years has had uh, an economic benefit. Uh, meaning they have had financial resources, they have mismanaged uh, in a very, you know, large-scale corruption scheme. Um, so everybody inside the government or important in the government and the military is part of the, you know, there's a lot of, of generals, a lot of like high uh, with high position, um, high position military people inside the government with ministries and stuff, and they they say like, why am I going to m make Maduro go down if I'm going down with him? So that's basically the reason why the good mil like the high military position people um, are not uh, with Guaido. But um, in recent situations, we have seen a lot of very regular military personnel that has said, like, I'm discerning, you know, because they are living firsthand the, the, the disaster. They are the ones that can get food. They are the ones that can get medicine. They are the ones who are getting killed, you know, and, and they are not, they, they don't own the the millions of dollars their their you know chiefs or their uh, bosses stole wow. so mm -hmm. oh that is really interesting now where do u.s sanctions then come into this story 
that it seems like the United States has been. We've, we've. I, I don't know how large of a trading partner we've been with with Venezuela, but I know we've had sanctions on the Venezuelan government before, and President Trump has increased those sanctions. Yes. What? But help us with this understanding how that works and whether or not those have any effect on the Venezuelan situation. So, not in my opinion. I mean, I'm not an expert on the matter, but uh, most of the of the sanctions that the United States has imposed in Venezuela has been personally targeted, meaning it's not against Venezuela itself. It's not, it's not a sanction that would, um, that would affect the people of Venezuela or affect more the people of Venezuela. Um, they, are, they are economic sanctions, but they are basically targeted towards the high official uh, officials of the government. Nicolas Maduro, all his family, his son, his wife, the vice president and all his, you know, direct relatives, all the ministries, the vice ministries, the the military that supports him. I mean, there's more than 100 people on the list um, and they are just targeted towards them. Basically, they are not allowed to come into the United States. They and their, their direct relatives are not allowed either. Um, and they can't have property here. They can't make business. They can't make any financial transactions with any American companies, etc. So this, this doesn't really affect the Venezuelan people Um and this and the sanctions are not at all a result um, of like the, the sanctions have have not resulted in Venezuela's crisis at all. So there there it sounds like from what you're saying that this is a well-intentioned idea that really has no effect at all. Is that is that correct? What do you mean? Well, I mean, I'm thinking if, if from the United States perspective, if assuming that the, the Trump administration in particular is seeking to um, call uh, – one, the Trump administration is back in Guaido and they're using sanctions as an economic tool to try to influence policy and bring this to a peaceful resolution with yes. hopefully Guaido uh, beginning to dismantle some of the socialistic apparatus that has caused Venezuela to be in this position – well, in which case, it sounds like the – I'm trying to figure out, are the sanctions actually useful if that's the goal? Or is this well, kind of a useless diplomatic economic tool that government, the U.S. can say, ha-ha, look, we're doing something, but they're not actually doing anything? Yeah, no. I do believe they're doing something because um, I would say that most of the assets that are – that have been bought – with the Venezuelans, uh, with the Venezuelan money, like the actual money that was, you know, property of the country um, that was used in corruption schemes, ended up being invested in the United States. Oh. So, so the fact that the United States froze um, all these people's assets, and they they have a direct prohibition of making making any profit or, or having any financial relation with, with any, you know, American entity actually helps to preserve what has been stolen from our country. 
So that's that's quite a big deal because when the opposition or when Guaido and the legitimate um, government takes over, we need resources. We need to rescue resources because we are broke. I mean, we are broke. Everything has been taken away. Everything. That is fascinating because that means that this this function, these economic sanctions function as a sort of uh, forced savings account. If I can reach for a maybe a, not a great analogy, but a maybe, uh, but and and that this would fund Venezuelans Venezuelan government, give them assets to really reboot a hopefully more of a private economy rather than a state managed economy. This this could be one of the reasons. I bet there are way more. I'm not you know I'm a, a total expert, but that's that's a very important reason why. I believe the sanctions are, are important. And, and um, the other thing is you can't, I mean, if the United States is supporting, you know, the legitimate government, they can't pretend to have a normal, um, like normalize a situation where all these people from, you know, the former Maduro government or the, you know, the socialist regime, they come to the United States and they, get apartments or they study here and they they bring they bring dirty money you know and and they can't i believe that the united states policy with the sanctions is it's pretty accurate i mean it it's the most they can do you know uh, or at least or the least they can do um as a uh, you know a, as a way to recognize that they are not um well, it's redundant, but that that they are not recognized as a, an official government. Yeah, I think there's there's a lot to be said for that because at least at the very least it does draw a line and recognize that the United States government is not in agreement with the choices this government has made and particularly the people in that government have made. Mm-hmm. And so, no, you're not welcome in the United States and we actually don't want your money. And and mm-hmm. uh, and th- those are important things to that send important messages to not just Venezuela, but also the international community about yeah. here's what the United States stands for and here's what we're opposed to, but not and not in a militaristic sense. Mm-hmm. I, do, I do think it's significant that President Trump and his administration have uh, stated that they are not looking to militarily intervene and somehow have the United States military appoint Guaido as the new ruler of Venezuela or something. Yeah, yeah, I believe that um, that our problem has to be fixed. I mean, in house. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I really appreciate. Um, all the efforts of all of the other countries, not just the United States. I mean, the European Union has also a, a lot of restrictions um, that prevent, you know, people from the government of Maduro to uh, go in on vacation or or go in and invest money, or they have they have frozen their accounts as well. They have taken their assets. They are investigating the corruption scheme. Um, you know, the European Union, Canada, uh, Colombia, you know, there are many, many countries that have, um, you know, just like raised their, their, their voice in, in, in helping this kind of chaos to just fall by its own weight. But, um, well, that would yeah. be another great argument on the, on really on the negative side of this resolution, because, 
I mean, that would be a place where the United States is kind of standing with other countries in a uh, sort of maybe informal international coalition that are going to economically put this kind of pressure on the Maduro government. So then the affirmative side of this resolution would really be calling for the U.S. to break ranks with the, the EU and Canada and Colombia and these other countries that are trying to really lock the Maduro government out of the global marketplace. Yeah, and, 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 and um, something else um, besides, <clears throat> besides um, what, I said, what we talked about, about the, the force the forceful savings account is that the Maduro, the government of Maduro has, has proven relations with terrorist groups uh, with, for example, the Colombian guerrilla, the, the guerrillas of Colombia. There has been confirmed, uh, you know, confirmed relations with Hezbollah and, and, and things like that. And, and I believe it's it's in you know everybody's everybody's interest to um, make that you know put that a stop on that um, because it's 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 serious. I mean, it could be it could really be a threat to to the world or to the hemisphere. So. It's 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 a complex situation. Uh, and that's that's and I, I suspect that's one of the reasons the uh, National Speech and Debate Association picked this for this particular topic. There's there's a lot of complex angles to look at this from. Do you see any arguments for why the United States should end economic sanctions against Venezuela? Not really. OK, not really. Um, of course, this is my personal opinion and I'm, a, I'm not an expert on the matter. But I'm all in for things that um, that make any type of pressure for this government or for this previous regime to get out of the country. And um, I'm all in for recuperating the country. We need to we, we, we have a lot to work on and. I mean, I say we, but I'm, I'm still Venezuelan, I'm, and I'm, I don't live there. But I would work, you know, I would work for it. And I would love to see my country go back to what it was, you mm. know. So um, I believe that the sanctions are a very good uh, tool that can be used to support this to happen. That's 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 a that's a very helpful observation. Does, yeah. Are are sanctions tied to whether or not humanitarian aid can go, go into Venezuela, or are those two completely separate issues? The humanitarian aid. Well, actually, the United States was one of the was one of the big supporters of humanitarian aid going in uh, back in this summer uh, or or spring. Um, we had millions of dollars and in, in medicine, in food and, and, and everything that was necessary to address the humanitarian crisis that's going on. And, um, it was, it was really sad to see, but, uh, Maduro said, nothing is coming in through the border. Nothing is coming in, and you will see what what will happen if you try to get it in. 
and um, they they did try to get in, you know, the trucks with with the with the food, with the medicine, and some of the trucks were burnt. Wow. So, I mean, how selfish can you be, and how and how out of reality can you be to not understand? That is also on your own interest. I mean, if Maduro is there and he wants to keep being there, why don't you help your people be a little happier? Maybe they will give you credit for it. I mean, you know, it's it's almost like dumb. So besides being wrong, I mean, but it's almost like dumb. So um, so yeah, that was that was pretty sad. That was pretty sad to see. So even though the United States has these official economic sanction policies against Venezuelan officials, that did not stop the U.S. or U.S. citizens, U.S. groups from giving millions of dollars of aid. But it was the Maduro government at the border that shut down the ability of the United States, the United States to give that aid to Venezuelan people. Yeah. So the, the aid was not uh, was not. Uh, managed or 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 you know given to venezuela's government or like ben or guaido or anything it was um i don't know exactly but it was u.s aid you know mm-hmm. and and the the red cross was also involved and and they were you know they were in custody of the things and of the money and i don't think uh and anything got in. Wow. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness! It's just such a that that's just a heartbreaking story. And I I love you brought in the 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 word reality a moment ago because I think that is the that seems to me to be the heart of what's what's missing in the Maduro government from what you've been sharing with us tonight. That there's literally a lack of reality and a lack of care. And a, a lack of, I, I, I don't think awareness. I think that's gone on for too long. There's too many intelligent people involved in this for it to be a lack of awareness, but a lack of care for the fact that policies really do have important effects on the way people live. And when yes. you get policy wrong, and if policy ignores reality, whether that's human reality, or economic reality, agricultural reality, and so on. When we get policy wrong, it has huge ramifications on the way people live together. Um, I, I hope Venezuela has a has a no, better yeah, 2020 yeah. than it did 2019. <laughs> well. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it's just it, it's amazing how how everything can go wrong. You know, when uh-huh. when you get power to the to the wrong people. Well, I, uh, that's that's probably a good transition to a couple of closing questions. I'm keeping an eye on our time. We'll probably wrap this up here in a moment. Uh, but uh, you mentioned that that uh, uh, you, you are not a huge fan of people promising to give things away for free, um, and, and in part because of what you've seen with Venezuela. And since you live in D.C., I am curious if you have any thoughts on uh, the current American presidential election cycle, particularly with the uh, Democratic candidates, because it seems like this is the first time uh, I'm I'm only 31. I'm not very old. I I have not seen that many elections. 
But this is the first one that I can remember where it seems like each candidate is sort of trying to race to the opposite end to promise how many free things they can give away. Free community college, free four-year college, free health care for everyone. I think this week Bernie Sanders explained that apparently uh, broadband Internet access is a basic human right and he will give it away to everyone for free. Uh, do, do you have any thoughts on on that from your perspective and what you've seen from Venezuela and, and in life and so on? Well, I mean, my political perspectives are are very in, on, in the center. Um, I do believe there are certain things that um, have to be offered uh, to people, but it's not to everybody. It's not for free, and it's not just because. I mean, I believe that one of the worst things that can happen to a society is to people to feel they are entitled to have something. Um, I think that everybody should feel um, should feel they own their things, they owned their things through their own merit. That's very, very important. If you don't know that, if you don't have an idea of the cost of things, you will never understand the actual value of them. So it's not, it's not a good idea at all to just say, I'm entitled to free healthcare. I'm entitled to, to free college. I'm entitled to this. I'm entitled to that. Because then you will live just, just asking, so what else is the government going to give me? You know, and, and that's that's not the right idea. That's not that's not the right idea at all. Um, I, I believe in working hard. I believe I, I, I believe in education um, and and I, I believe that everybody should just, you know, work for their own things. And and if you happen to need help. I, I am also for, you know, programs to get aid uh, for, for, for situations, you know, you know, because things happen. Um, things happen and, and sometimes they're out of your control. Um, but if it's not, if, if you're not a person that needs aid and you have two hands, two legs, one brain, you know, you wh why would you need free things why would you need aid you know everybody's capable of working and 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 i'm just all in for you know for merit and 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 earning your own things i think that's a very helpful way to consider that because it's it's sometimes easy for those on the right um, of politics to uh, come across as if they're like, oh, we don't want to help anybody. We are these heartless people who have no compassion. And on the flip side, those on the left can often come across, whether they intend to or not, as almost just giving away everything and not being concerned about the price tag. And I think you brought us to a really good consideration there in the center. And I think that's a wise position for us to think about it from. It's not that... No one ever needs help. I mean, I think we hopefully everyone listening would agree that there are all times when we, we simply need somebody to come alongside us and help us out. Um, but there are also well, there's also got to be there's got to be that respect for private property and that conviction of work 
Because really, and I think the, a lot of what you shared with us tonight reminds me of the fact that an economy is measured through, we use all kinds of numbers to measure the economy, but the wealth that's created in the economy is most of it goes back into running the economy. So the economy itself only exists as long as there are people who are actively contributing through their labor to the common good of the people in the country. And if we consistently just consume it all and give it away and don't work to replenish it, it goes. And I think everyone who's ever had to pay bills and realize that, oh, crud, I spent $4,500 this month and I only have $3,800. Yeah. That mm -hmm. deficit is real. And eventually yeah. it comes to bite if you do that too many months in a row. And the same is true of states. Yeah. Yeah, um, it is. Um it, it's dangerous. It's really dangerous, you know, because all the free, you know, things to have idea is, is just so appealing. It sounds great, you know, <laughs> but it's not great. Uh, my husband usually tells me, um, he, he, the other day he just came home and he was like, I learned something today. And I was like, what is it? And he told me. Guess what the worst enemy of socialism is? And I was like, I was like, oh, like, what? And he told me, reality. <laughs> so, and that, that, that actually shocked me. And I was like, wow, what, what, what an accurate thing. The worst enemy of socialism is reality. And I mean, without going any further, you have the Venezuelan example. You know, without going any any anywhere back in history, Venezuela is the perfect example. It, it really is, and it's 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 just kind of mind-boggling to me that it's sort of a uh, it's a governmentally caused disaster, and and that's just so terrible. Well. It's Analicia, before we close, uh, I have a lot of students who have a lot of different career ambitions. And of course, these are high school students. So uh, many of them want to change the world. They don't really know how. They just want to change the world. And they're sure that they, they can do that. Uh, I have some students who some of them have talked about uh, going into diplomacy of some sort or another. Others have thought about, oh, maybe the law is where I want to be. I want to be that lawyer working in various ways to help people through legal studies. Uh, would you have any advice that you would offer to listeners if they're thinking about kind of going into directions of public service or the legal field or anything of that nature? Well, you you really have to like it because sometimes it, it it's a frustrating uh, it's a frustrating environment to you know to um, to work in uh, for various reasons. But um, you have if if you have the passion for it, you will know. And if you are really passionate about it, you will love it. So, so that's, that's key. You know, that, that's key. But um, what would be my, my, uh, my comments about it? I think um, that being a lawyer is a very, um, it, it's an occupation that makes you feel a lot of gratitude. Uh, you see a lot of things you um, you can't even think uh, how you know how it would be to be going through that, and um, of course depends on the field you're working on, but um, it's a very 
a passionate, it's a very passionate field. And when you feel you're helping someone, you just feel very accomplished with, with yourself. Um, regarding the diplomacy aspect, um, I think it's just so interesting how, you know, how people can contribute in a positive way or in a negative way, you know, to, uh, to relations between countries. And, and sometimes we, we don't really understand the impact that this can have in the world. So um, I think it's, it's just such an interesting um, environment to work on. And, and, it, and it's, you know, and it's, and it's very interesting. And you just feel like you're growing all the time because you're learning a lot of things, new things. Not, not everything is about law. Um, so you will definitely end up knowing about everything and anything. That's so encouraging to hear. I know it, uh, it's, I've, I've heard the stereotype before that lawyers are only good for telling, either telling jokes about them or talking to them about law. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that that's not the case. <laughs> no, that's, that's more like a human perspective um, about the career, yeah. Oh, but, wonderful. yeah. If oh. I was born again, I would be a lawyer again. Oh, Glad to hear. Well, Annalisa, I think you've given us a wonderfully human perspective on this uh, horrible crisis in Venezuela. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. Okay, thank you for having me. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us tonight for this evening. My guest has been Analicia Vamonde Stolls. Uh, Analicia is a lawyer living in D.C. currently, and as you've heard on this episode, is bringing to us her expertise about the current state of Venezuela so that you can be better prepared to debate the resolution resolved. The United States should end its economic sanctions against Venezuela. We'd love to hear from you on this show. Uh, we've recently had some listener feedback that uh, Ethan and I will be discussing on our next show that we're co-hosting. If you want to reach out to us, let us know what you think about the show. If you have uh, ideas, don't want to just let us know what case structures you're running for your January public forum cases. We'd love to hear from you. You can do that in a bunch of different ways. You can email us at whatstheres at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash whatstheres. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, or Reddit, where uh, the, uh, with our handle is at whatstheres underscore. We also have a What's the Res YouTube page that if you want to listen to this on YouTube, you could do that. And just in case you need more debate in your life, be sure to check out our premium debates. For $3 a month or $30 a year, you can access one recorded debate a month. We call these real debates by real people. We debate relevant controversial issues. Uh, Here in December, we've got a lighter episode with Dr. Will Begley versus myself on the resolution, People with PhDs Should Be Called by the Title Doctor. We'll have more controversial ones coming up uh, beginning in January. You can check those out at whatstheres.podbean.com slash premium. Thank you for your support, and until next time, work hard, speak well, and seek the truth. 